Let me ask you a question. I'm going to start off today. Anybody here ever been on a diet? Anybody been on a diet? Anybody? Anybody? You guys are so less honest than the first service. In the first service, everybody raised their hand. Like, okay, some, okay, not a diet, a food program of some kind. Some kind. Okay, now we're getting there. Um, so I, I was actually looking up diets, you know, this week for this sermon because I was just, but off the top of my head, I came up with a list. Um, maybe you guys have heard of some of these. There's the Atkins diet. There's the paleo. There's the gluten-free. Feel free to shout it out if it's yours, you know, and you want to support it. There's the gluten-free. There's the grapefruit diet. Nobody's on that one. That one didn't last very long, I don't think. That was like a decade ago. It was like, hey, grapefruit. But then there's the zone diet. There's the South Beach diet. You guys remember that one? Yep. yep. Uh, the master cleanse. The cabbage soup diet. I didn't, I wasn't familiar with that one. <laughs> it's got a fan. There's cabbage soup. Diet has got one fan on the planet. There's the low-carb diet, the no-carb, the water diet. You will lose weight if all you drink, if all you eat is water. That will eventually happen. Um, ketogenic diet, the vegetarian diet, the vegan diet, <laughs> the, vegan diet the pescatarian diet, uh, my personal favorite, the flexitarian diet, where you... Have some flexibility around your. So we've all we've all experienced some kind of dietary plan, some kind of you know food plan, some diet. Um, now and it turns out that it's for different purposes. Some people, some people have to limit what they eat or try to limit what they eat because they will gain a lot of weight if they don't. And that's more my deal. Like I actually have an app that I have on my phone and I actually enter into my app how, what I'm eating and how much I'm eating and sort of gauging my ca caloric intake and then my exercise to determine, you know, so that I can maintain, uh, you know, my weight. Um, uh, when I was 25, I didn't have to do that, but things change over time and so you have to do that. Um, my wife is the opposite. She can literally eat anything she wants and not gain an ounce. Does, do you know anybody like that? Do you, like, a little bit hate them? A little bit? Not, not like, not, don't, it's, it's genetic. Don't hate her, right? It's just, she can't help it. She can eat, she can eat li literally ding, ding dongs, ho-hos, Twinkies. It doesn't matter. She can just eat whatever she wants and no weight gain. It's amazing. If I ate one-tenth, we talk about it. If I ate, if I ate one-tenth of what she I would just balloon up immediately. Um, in fact, the other day, a while back, I was actually looking in, I was looking in her glove box for something. I was trying to find some insurance, insurance cards or something. Um, you know what I found? You, you probably think I found like a Bible or some Priscilla Shire uh, DVDs or like some Beth Moore devotionals. You know what I found in her glove box? This is no joke. Moon pies. <laughs> I'm not even joking. She had a secret stash of moon pies. <laughs> moon pies in her glove box. That's just to keep her alive. That's just calor calories to keep her going. I mean, if I, if, I ate, if I had moon pies in my glove box, they're like 800 calories each, you know. Um, we, we, what are you going to do? Um, we, all, we all have different relationships with food. The one thing that we probably, most of us share in common in, in this society, in this uh, region, is that most of us do not have a hard time getting enough nourishment to stay healthy and alive. Most of us now, some people do, but most of us do not struggle with getting enough food 
in our bodies to keep our bodies alive and healthy, right? But I would argue or propose that all of us struggle to keep enough spiritual nourishment in our lives to keep our souls vibrant and healthy and energetic and alive. Can I get a witness from somebody? I I would say all of us have experiences where we're going through something or we're experiencing something in our life and we reach into that spiritual tank to see if there's any nourishment there, if there's any nutrition there, if there's any power there, and sometimes we come up empty. Our bodies are full. Our hearts are hungry. Anybody know what that feels like? Our bodies are full. Our bellies are fat, but our hearts are are lean, and we, we, hit mo- we hit moments in life where we go, I need some su- sustenance, some strength, some power in my spirit, in my life, but I'm reaching into the tank, and the tank is empty. We did a run one time. My wife and I did a run. We trained for the, the Nashville Marathon, and one of the things that you're doing when you're running, and you learn this from other runners, is that when you're running, you're burning up a, a lot of calories, and, and you, you, know, you start to get depleted. Your gas tank starts to go down but they have these little packets they call them goo goo protein packets it's a little it's exactly what it sounds like it's a little packet with just some goo in it and it's got these densely packed you know carbohydrates and probably some caffeine i don't know what all is in there but it doesn't really matter it's 100 100 calories and it gives you a shot it gives you a little bit of power to keep on going a lot of us we reach into our spiritual gas tank we're running the marathon of life we reach into the and there's there's no goo there there's nothing there to give us that strength to carry on and so i want to spend some time in jesus uncensored talking about spiritual food not about physical food talking about spiritual food and i want to title today's sermon if you'll allow me if you'll indulge me to title today's sermon you are what you eat you are what you eat uh, we're going we're gonna to get into a passage today, uh, a sermon that Jesus preached. And it was one of the most, I'm just going to warn you in advance, the strangest, most bizarre, most controversial sermons that Jesus ever preached. And since we're doing Jesus Uncensored, I'm just going to read the whole thing to you. You'll get to assess it for yourself. It's a powerful sermon, and I hope that I can illuminate something out of it that, that brings you strength and hope and faith and, and nourishment for your soul today. That's my prayer. Uh, and I pray that if I can't do that, that God's word in and of itself will do that on, uh, on God's behalf for, for me and for him. Um, but, but I want to give some context to this sermon that, that he preached because Jesus preached this, this sermon in an area called Decapolis, which is up in the northern part of Israel. And he had been up there preaching and teaching and performing miracles for, for, for weeks. And he had just had this, uh, this uh, uh, service, like out in, outside, where thousands of people thronged to him. Probably the estimates are between ten and 20,000 people total uh, had come to him. So imagine like the Scott Trade Center or the Enterprise, it's now the Enterprise uh, Center. Imagine that many people thronging around Jesus, like a whole blues game of people surrounding Jesus. And Jesus was... Uh, was preaching and teaching to this group of anywhere from 10 to 20,000 people. And midway through the sermon, they get hungry. So Jesus, and you probably remember the story, some of you from, you know, Sunday school. Jesus tells his disciples, hey, these guys are hungry. Uh, or the disciples tell him the people are hungry. Let's let them go home so they can eat. And he says, no, you give them something to eat. 
And they said, well, we don't have anything to eat. And he goes, all right, we'll find something to eat. So they find a little boy, and this boy's got five loaves, remember, and two fish. You know the story? Jesus takes the loaves and the fish, and he multiplies it, and he feeds an entire stadium, essentially, full of people with these five loaves, all right? And it turns out that, you know, in the first century in Israel, when you feed people, they like you. They come back for more. They want to get some more of what you gave them. So Jesus has got this massive following in this northern region. And so the synagogues start to invite him to come and preach at their synagogues because he's huge. He's famous. They want to hear what he has to say, and they also want to pack out the synagogue, you know. Bring Jesus, pack the place out, take an offering, and then you're good for the year. So you got your budget, you know. He, they they want to bring him in. So Jesus comes to this synagogue in Capernaum after he's performed this incredible miracle. People are packing out the synagogue. And, I mean, just every seat is filled. There's standing room only. There are probably people standing outside of the synagogue trying to get in, trying to hear what he has to say. And this is the sermon that he preaches. And I'm going to just tell you, right, just flow with me this morning because I preached this in the first service. And this sermon is so crazy, what Jesus preached, that the first service, they just were looking at me like I was crazy. And I'm not crazy. I'm just preaching what Jesus was. So don't look at me like I'm crazy. Will you not do that? Help, help me today. Even if I am crazy, just flow with this a little bit. He says this. Here's his sermon. You ready? He starts with this. Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. So he starts the sermon by confronting the people who are there and saying, you're following me not because of my power, but because of my provision. You're following me not because I'm your master, but because I'm a means to your end. You're following me because I'm giving you something that you want, but not, you're not following me because of who I am. So that's how he starts his sermon. <laughs> and... Um, People are kind of back on their heels. And, and, and what he's saying is, look, I want you to experience me for who I am. Because if you, if you are following Jesus just for what he can do for you, you will get some crumbs. He will help you with your relationship and your finances. and your. So, but if you follow him because of who he is, you will experience his feast. And there's a big difference between getting some crumbs that are going to last you for a little while and getting the feast of the relationship of knowing who God is and experiencing his love and mercy and grace. Big difference. So he's saying, don't follow me just because of what I can give you in the temporal. Follow me because of who I am. This is what he said. Don't work for food that spoils. Don't, get, don't go after the temporary stuff. But work for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Don't come after me for fast food. Come after me for soul food. Come after me for something that will feed your spirit, that will enrich your heart, that will grow you in your spiritual life. Don't, not just for what I can give to you in the physical. So they asked him, uh, Jesus, what must we do to do the works of, uh, that God requires? So what are we supposed to do, God? Or what are we supposed to do, Jesus? Uh, what does God want us to do? Okay, so Jesus is in this synagogue, and, and he's teaching, and they ask him this question. Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. Now, the first century Jewish, you know, community would have heard a lot of things coming to synagogue. They would have heard, if they asked the question, what does God want us to do? What does he require of us? They would have heard a lot of things. Obey him, have mercy, be kind, love, be gentle. They would have heard a lot of things. This was, this was not what they were expecting. Jesus said, the work of God is this. Believe in the one who sent him. Believe in the one, b b believe in the one he sent, rather. 
Believe in the one that he sent. That's the work that I want you to do. So imagine this, because the first thing that they're going to think in this, in this service, the first thing they're going to ask themselves is, wait a minute, who are you saying is the one that God sent? Like, are you, what, like, what are you even talking about? Are you talking about one of the prophets? Believe in the one that he sent. Are you talking about, like, Isaiah? Are you talking about Elijah? Are you talking about Elisha? Are you talking about John the Baptist? I'm confused. The work that you want us to do is to believe in the one that God sent. Who is the one that God sent? Who are you even talking about? So Jesus then says, I am. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. In other words, they ate food that kept their body alive for a time, but eventually they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, like the manna came down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. He said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. All right. It's really, really hard for the first century Jewish audience to know what he is talking about here. Because they know the story about manna from heaven. That was their ancestors. God sent manna down from heaven. They were able to eat it. Remember when they left uh, Egypt and they were on their way to the promised land and they were hungry and there was a time of scarcity and they ate this manna. And Jesus says, remember that? Yes, that happened, but all those people died. But now this bread is here before you, and if you eat this bread, you'll never die. Then he says this, this bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Imagine Imagine a preacher saying something like that. Like you've, you, he's in the synagogue, he's a guest preacher. He says this and you're going, your flesh is the what of the what? Like it's one thing to say I'm the bread of life in the sense that like, oh, my words will sustain you. My words will nourish you. Um, but he starts to get really personal and say this is about me. He's saying this is about him. And if you're his disciples, it's one of those moments where you're like, thinking maybe, hey, Jesus, can we kind of move along to a different subject? And, you know, this is kind of confusing. We could talk about this in private, but, like, can you kind of move into something that's a little more normal? Could you go there? Do you think Jesus does that? Do you think he takes? He never does. He just never does. It says um, they were so, you know, confused that even the Jews began to argue sharply during the sermon (laughs) among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Like, it was so confusing that they started having, like, sidebar discussions. Like, do you have any idea what he's talking about? Because he's talking about something crazy. I don't understand. So they're having discussions about what he's talking about. So this, is a, this would be a good cultural moment for Jesus to move on to a different subject and then to be able to explain this later. But here's what he does. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And they're going, what are you talking about right now? Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. Now it's gotten to the point where he said it, and then now you can't, now he's, you can't move off of it because he's now saying it again, and he's saying it different ways. And then he says it even again. He says, for my flesh is real food. And my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. And everybody's going, oh my gosh, I am so freaked out that this rabbi is telling us, eat his flesh and drink his blood. We do not know what he is talking about. And his disciples are going, what? 
And John, like John, who recorded this whole sermon, I love what he does in this little moment because he wants to remind you, like, Jesus wasn't saying this to, like, two people under a tree somewhere. He says, he says, and he said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Like, he, this is being recorded. This is being live streamed throughout all of northern, you know, Israel. He's saying this publicly. He can't reel this back in. He's saying, I am, I am the bread of life. And not only that, but you can't live unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. And if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, then you'll have eternal life. And everyone is freaking out. In fact, to the point where it says on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? They're like, <laughs> it's, we don't, how do you even, right? In fact, and they're right. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. No longer followed him. They're like, I, I had, you know, the bread, I got the bread, the five loaves, and the, that was good, the five loaves and the two fish. I got some of the other stuff, but now you're talking about eat my flesh, drink my blood. And, but here's what Jesus was doing. Can I just, hopefully I can explain this to you in a way that you will get some nourishment out of this. Because what Jesus would often do is he would start the sermon by telling you what he's going to tell you. And then he would tell you what he was going to tell you, but he would tell it in a way that would mystify you. He would tell it in a way that would make you scratch your head. He would tell it to you in a way that would, that would shake your, your, your mindset, that would mess with your mind, that would make you start to examine things differently. He would say things, you know, with hyperbole. He would say things like uh, over the top sometimes just to get you thinking differently. But if you go back and look at the very beginning of the sermon, then you get to find out what he was talking about. Because do you remember the question that prompted this whole sermon? The question that they asked him that prompted the whole sermon was this. Remember it said they asked him, what must we do to do the works that God requires? Like the, the whole sermon came out of their question. What do we need to do to make God happy? And here's what he said. Remember what he said? He said, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Here's what Jesus is doing. He's not actually talking about food. He's talking about faith. He's saying, if you want to experience real life, I want you to put all of your faith, all of your belief, all of your hope, all of your desire, all of your dreams, all of your aspirations, I want you to place them upon me. Because here's what he knew that they didn't know. He knew that in just a few months, he was going to be arrested he was going to be tried. He was going to be scourged. He was going to be crucified. He was going to be hung upon a cross. He knew that his body was going to be broken. He knew that a sword would be pierced into his side. He knew that his blood was going to be spilled. He knew, nobody else did, but through that sacrifice, our sins would be forgiven. We would experience the grace and the mercy of God. Our souls would come alive by putting our faith in his sacrifice. So when he said, eat my flesh and drink my blood, what he's really talking about is I want all of your faith. I want you to, cons- I, want, I want to be all consuming. I want, I want all of your hope, all of your faith, all of your desire, all of your longing to be placed on me. Because when you put your faith in me, faith in Christ becomes a feast for your soul. He said, you're going to have hard times you're going to have struggles. You're going to have diff- you're going to ha- you're going to experience things from your 
from your past, from your present, and your future that you're not going to know how to deal with. You're going to reach into the tank and you will come up empty. But if you will put your faith in me, in other words, if you'll eat my flesh and drink my blood, meaning if you'll put your faith in my death and my burial and my resurrection, then you will have life. You will experience the death of your old self, the burial of your old self, and the resurrection to new life. If you put your faith in me, faith in Christ is a feast for your soul. See, he's not, he's not giving advice. He is saying, I'm the one. He's saying, I'm the alpha, I'm the omega, I'm the beginning, I'm the end. Before things, before anything was created, I am. All things were created by me, through me, for me. Nothing was created that was created without me. I am everything, and I want you to put your entire hope, your entire faith, your entire life on me. Let me be the sole source of your nourishment. And when you do, you will not get crumbs. You will get a feast. Here's what faith, and this is so real, you guys, I can't even... It, it's hard. It's that, I think that's why he used language like this, because you're going to be thinking about this the rest of the day. You're going to be eating the flesh, drinking the blood, right? Because he wants you to know this, how, how deeply important this is, that you put your entire hope, all of your dreams and aspirations, you put it upon him, that he's the only one, that he's all that there is. It's him. That's what he's saying. And here's what happens when you do. When you put your faith in him, it sustains you in times of scarcity. In other words, when you're going through hardship, when you're going through struggles, when you're in a, a, a time of life where you don't have uh, what you need to move on and to carry on, when you're experiencing pain and heartache and brokenness and sorrow and challenges, and all of the things that come and will come and have come for many of us throughout life, he says, if you put your faith in me, it will sustain you. It will sustain you in a time of scarcity. Many of you will not know the name Kim Fook, Kim Fook. But you will, you will know uh, the image of her. Uh, there was a black and white image published um, uh, during the, the time of the Vietnam War of a little girl. And if you remember, it was a grainy black and white photo. And she's running down this street. And she's naked. And she's terrified. And there are napalm bombs going off in the background. And, and she's running through the streets scared and, and frightened and injured, wounded, burned by the napalm. Um, do you guys remember that photo? It's a classic photo, um, and it's a powerful photo. It's a stark image of absolute, of absolute scarcity and suffering and nothingness. Here's a little girl with absolutely nothing. She's being d driven from her village. Her village is being bombed, and she's got nothing. Uh, and it's a horrifying photograph. It's a terrifying photograph. Well, that little girl survived that day. She actually survived that day, and she had napalm burns all the way down her back. Uh, and not only did she have the physical anguish and the physical pain of that experience, but she carried with her every day the emotional and the spiritual scars from that day. And she, she actually said in an interview one time that it was the, the, the spiritual and emotional scars actually were worse than the physical scars, which were very, very bad. Um, and she struggled with humiliation and guilt and shame and pain and anger and rage and all of the kinds of emotions that you might imagine. She's struggling with those. She said one day in 1982, she went into this little tiny 
village church in Saigon. And um, she had been sort of social pariah at, 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 you know, because people felt like she was toxic. They just didn't want to be around her. They didn't want her luck to rub off on them. And so she goes to this little church in Saigon, and she said it was Christmas Eve, and the preacher was preaching, and he was preaching about the, the brokenness of Jesus. And he was preaching about his body being broken for us and his blood being spilled for us. And she had never heard the story of the suffering Jesus. She had never heard the story of Jesus bearing the kind of scars that she bore. And somehow in that moment, she decided to put her faith in Christ. She decided to put her hope in Jesus. And she says that she woke up the next morning, and while her body was not whole and healed, her heart began to mend. And the rage began to subside. And her life began to come together and, and grow together and to become strong. And over time, she began to share her testimony. And over time, she began to teach and she began to travel and she began to speak to other people. And earlier this year, she gave an interview to Christianity Today. And I just want to read you this passage um, from, from that interview. She said, nearly half a century has passed since I found myself running, frightened, naked, and in pain down that road in Vietnam. She said, I will never forget the horrors of that day, the bombs, the fire, the shrieks, the fear, nor will I forget the years of trial and torment that followed. And then I love this. But when I think about how far I have come, the freedom and peace that comes from what? Faith in Jesus, sustaining her in a time of scarcity. Peace that comes from faith in Jesus. I realize there is nothing greater or more powerful than the love of our blessed Savior. Here's what, here's what God is saying to somebody. Put your faith in me. I will sustain you. I will sustain you in your pain. I will sustain you in your heartache. I will sustain you in your rage. I will sustain you in your fear. I will sustain you through good times, and I will sustain you through bad. Put your faith in me. My body was broken for you. My blood was spilled for you. My body was buried for you and raised from the dead for you. And, and if you'll put your faith in me, I will become a feast for your soul. Eat my flesh. Drink my blood. Put your faith in my sacrifice. And you'll begin to experience a brand new life. And it won't just be for now. It'll be forever. That's the other thing about faith. It provides for you not just here. It provides for you perpetually. That's the nature of putting your faith in Christ, is that it provides perpetually. Um, I'm going to lighten it up. Can I lighten it up a little bit? That was heavy. Um, amazing. I would love to have her come and speak here sometime. Um, but um, his, his, the faith in him provides for us perpetually. It's not just temporary. My, my kids on Father's Day, they got me these Starbucks cards, um, Starbucks gift cards, which are great. Because um, Starbucks is good. It's good. It's fine. Um, but it's really good when it's free. And so when I go and, and I can just hand them a little card and I don't have to pay for it, it's really nice. So um, there were a couple weeks there after Father's Day where I would pull up to the Starbucks and I would just hand them these little gift cards. And, of course, they just beep the little gift card and then I get my free coffee. And I don't get the expensive stuff. I just get coffee. Because really there's like two calories in coffee too, by the way. So it's a great snack. Um, and, um, and so I would, I would 
get these. Well, eventually, of course, you know what happens. One of my cards runs out. So then I start using the next card. But you know what's going to happen? That card runs out until the final moment. And there's that heartbreaking, heart-wrenching moment when the barista goes, I'm sorry, sir. There's no more credit on your card. Would you like me to add credit? And you go, no, I would not like you to add credit because I would have to pay for that. Why would I add credit? Like I'm paying for my own credit, for my own gift card? No, thank you. And so, right? But the problem is it only lasts for a moment. (laughs) It only lasts temporarily. Jesus is saying, here's what he's saying. He's saying, when you put your faith in me, and this is, pow- this, is cra- this is crazy to think about. It doesn't just provide for you now. It's not just in times of scarcity now. It actually brings life to your soul. It makes your soul alive for eternity. For eternity. Your soul becomes alive for eternity. It's not sustaining you. It's not like a goo pack that will keep you going for a mile. It's a, it's a transformational power, nourishment to your soul that enlivens you and, and allows you to live forever with God. You're invited to the feast, the feast, the bridegroom's uh, uh, marriage supper of the bride, the feast where we get to come together and worship forever and ever and ever. It's a perpetual provision. It doesn't just help you here. It doesn't just help you now. It transforms you forever. It, it welcomes you into a reality that you can't even imagine right now. We imagine, you know, and this is something that's just, it's hard to even talk about eternity, you know, because we're so tied up in the present. But Jesus is saying, if you'll put your faith in me, I'll give you eternal life. You'll live forever. You'll live forever in, in me, with me, in joy and peace. You'll experience the feast forever and ever. And so not only does it sustain us in times of scarcity and provide for us perpetually, but here's the last thing I want to say. It transforms us into his image. When we put our faith in him, it transforms us into his image. Gary, I'm going to close with this. Now, this is, this is something that's really hard to get across, so I pray that you just get this. He said, eat my flesh and drink my blood, right? Which means put your faith in him. The Apostle Paul says, when we put our faith in him, when we believe in him, when we, when we trust in him, we become him. We become him collectively. Here's what he said. On the last verse. Now you... Now you are the body of Christ. Jesus said, eat my flesh, drink my blood. In other words, put your faith in me. Because when you do that, then you become me on the earth. Are you with me? You become the body of Christ on the planet. You are what you eat. You put your faith in Jesus, then we get to become Christ's hands and feet on the planet. We get to become that community that brings healing and nourishment and hope and grace and peace to the world. Not, I'm not just saying you, city family. I'm talking about the church, the body of Christ universal, Christians from everywhere around. the. Now, do we always get this right? No. Do we mess it up royally? Often. But this is what God is telling us that we are capable of becoming. We, when we put our faith in him, 
become the body of Jesus, the body of Christ on the planet. We become the source of healing through him, the source of hope, the source of, 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 of comfort and strength and nourishment and peace. You are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Somebody needs to be more excited about that than me. That you are the body of Christ. If you have eaten of his flesh and drank his blood, if you put your faith in him, you start to become him. You, we collectively, each one of us is a part of it. And I, I am thrilled by the prospect that we get to do what Jesus did. We get to feed, and we get to clothe, and we get to heal, and we get to transform, and we get to fight for justice and truth, and, and we, get to, we get to bring hope into people's lives who don't have hope. We get to bring healing into people's lives who are broken. Because we have put our faith in him and through our faith in him, we collectively as a church, the church, are becoming him, the body of Christ. Your vision for yourself needs to be bigger than, I just need a little crumb to get by, Jesus. Can I break off a little crumb off your table and just make it to next week, Lord? No. You're invited to a feast. You're invited to be transformed into the image of God. You're invited to be, be transformed into the image of his son. You are what you eat. I want to invite you to feast on him this week. Spend time in prayer. Spend time in his word. Put your faith in him. There's a, there's a, there's a reality that happens sometimes for me. I don't know if this happens to you. Sometimes I'll be trucking through life. And my brain is going along with what's going on. And I'm thinking about things and I'm talking to people and I'm just going through normal life. But then there are moments where I stop and I recognize him for who he is. And I go, oh my God, thank you, God, for who you are. Thank you that I get to be a part of your mission and your vision. That I get to experience you. I can pull up out of this craziness and I can remember that you've got this and I'm, I'm in you and you're in me and I'm putting my faith in you and I'm putting my trust in you and my soul is being nourished by you and my soul is being sustained and I'm being turned into the image of your son and I'm being enlivened and I'm going to live with you forever that's my prayer for you today eat from this table pray Spend time in the scripture. Spend time with one another. Let's become the body of Christ. Let's become a place where hearts are healed, where lives are mended, where the dead are brought back to life, where the hungry are fed. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for this service. Thank you for your words. Thank you for this powerful strange and powerful passage. God, I pray that it would just sit in our hearts today and, and, it, and it, we would have to keep thinking about it and coming back to it and talking about it with each other and going, what in the world? And, and, and exploring it together and that we would continually be reminded just to put our faith in you. Take our faith out of 
whatever it is that we're putting our faith in. And just put it in you. Rest solely in you. Trust solely in you. Consume you wholly and completely. Follow you completely and wholly for who you are. Not because of what you can do for us, but because of who you really are. Let us become your people. Let us become your hands and feet. Let us be transformative in our city, in our society, in our world. Let us be a light. Let us be nourishment, hope, and strength. Let us bring the dead back to life. We pray this to your honor, to your glory, in Jesus' name.